Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to, like, perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Here on our new podcast, we're bringing you as much information as we can about COVID-19. Social distancing and self-isolation are vital to slowing the spread of the virus and protecting everyone. It's a huge disruption to our lives. Just let me say we're all in this together. We will get through this. The thing is, separating ourselves physically can also take an enormous toll on our mental health. So today on The Dose, we're tackling the question, how can I manage my anxiety and take care of my mental health right now? And because it's such a big topic, we're going to tackle this over two podcast episodes. So let's get started with part one. Joining me by FaceTime as we continue to practice social distancing is Dr. Peter Selby. He's the Chief of Medicine for the Psychiatry Division at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, or CAMH, in Toronto. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Dr. Selby. Same here, Brian. So let's start with the overall impact of COVID-19 and what it's having on mental health and, you know, this new reality that we're all dealing with. So tell me what impact it's having on people's mental health in general. So in general, there's a, you know, this is, would be considered as a global stressor, population-level stressor. And that stressor lands differently depending on who you are, how old you are, your pre-existing conditions, what you do. So it can range from some people have no reaction at all and they just go continue their, you know, their daily living and nothing happens to them. And then there's another group who gets sort of, you know, a, a, which is the right response, I think, slightly alerted by what is, you know, what is happening. They pay attention to the news and they're able to manage to adapt to what is coming at them and they continue to, to function uh, with uh, relative calm and hope and resilience. Another group which is getting to be larger and common as people who are beginning to experience more than worry and concern that is out of keeping with what would be expected. You know, so most people would be normally concerned about their finances, their access to healthcare, access mm-hmm. to uh, resources, etc. They're worried about parents, they're worried about their children. That's normal. Uh, but they respond to it rather than get frozen by it or react to it in a way that's not helpful. And then you get the group who are now, you know, need some psychoeducation because now they're getting activated. They're not sleeping. They're worrying. They're staying glued to the television. They're neglecting their other activities, they're irritable. And they need some help, especially those who've had pre-existing psychiatric conditions that are now worsened by this. So whether it's obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, substance use. All of those can get worse during times like this. Uh, which are the ones you're the most concerned about? Given that we want to be a just and equitable society, I'm really concerned about those who are already pre-existing conditions and are already having several of the negative social determinants of health, you know, living in poverty, living in isolation, are homeless, etc. I'm also concerned about, uh, you know, the, the children with developmental uh, uh, issues that have relied on so many community services and are suddenly finding themselves cut off. You've actually started an online page at CAMH that people can turn to, and we'll give that link out at the end. What are the key pieces of advice you give on that page for managing the anxiety that that being in the midst of a pandemic can bring? 
for for most people, I think there are two aspects to it. There's an input aspect. There's, there's information coming into your system, and you're consuming it, whether it's through television, radio, newspapers, and now, of course, with social media, having repeated uh, uh, inputs of messages, and, and clearly the messages are, you know, often we say breaking news, and we say, you know, and so people are staying glued to their, to their devices to try to figure out what the latest breaking news is. Unfortunately, what that does is it generates a lot of anxiety in the moment. And, and what a, one recommendation is to limit the amount of inputs to once or twice a day for critical pieces and then debrief that. Limit yourself from getting uh, sources that are not credible or fake news and, and don't be part of those groups that, that do that because they perpetuate fear as opposed to knowledge for which you can have action on and then the second part is to manage that reaction that you're having and with and so it's the general things that people do to stay well and making sure you have you know good lots of sleep lots of uh, physical activity whether it's exercising and working out in your own living space or whether you can get, get can head out to a place with by while maintaining physical distance do that because you do need fresh air you do need to to get out and and move and eat eat well as much as is possible within what you have, and uh, and and of course you're you're stressed, so you're going to want to have comfort food, but make sure you keep that in, in moderation. And similarly, substances they're not necessarily helpful in the long run, so limit your consumption. So those are the sort of practical advice. And then if people are having a need for some basic education about how to manage their thoughts and feelings, there's some tips on how to manage those thoughts and feelings, including how to be mindful, etc. Peter, what's your go-to comfort food at a time like this? I got to say, my go-to comfort food has been uh, actually uh, potato chips. If not, you know, but I've I've made sure that I've limited you know to that 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 consumption to to maybe one bowl. I think the single-serving ones are probably the better ones to do because you're not you're, 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 nobody else is going to you know share them with you, and you can you can still have your little dose without overdoing it. I'll confess that mine's chocolate, and I really have yeah. to watch that one. But dark chocolate right. is the healthier kind. Uh, let's move on. Yeah. An- another key aspect of, of all this, as I, as I talked about at the top, is this new reality of social isolation. What advice do you have for people to stay mentally healthy while in this unusual state of isolation? So first of all, I think we should probably call it physical isolation and embrace the fact that we have technologies, and some of them like 100-plus years old, like the telephone, whereby we can reach out to people because we have the time now to pick up the phone and call somebody who's more likely to answer because I don't know if you've noticed, but all my spam calls and, and telemarketing calls are, are, have all stopped. Nobody's asking to come and clean my ducts anymore. Mine so too. I can actually, I the know, duct so I can guy has stopped. That, and so has the CRA scam guy. So I have time to actually answer the phone now and I can actually talk to people. So don't forget about that. And of course we have, you know, WhatsApp groups and other social media groups and FaceTime and do those kinds of things and enable that kind of communication. Um, because I think it is important. Physical isolation does not mean emotional isolation or, or, or neglect. So I think that is critical, you know, as healthcare providers, when we see patients to make sure we make eye contact and communicate, even if we are not in a position to, you know, uh, to, to provide comfort or hold a hand, we can, through the way we speak and the way we look at them, provide them comfort in those, in those difficult times. This doesn't mean we forget our compassion. If we do have to go out and we have to shop, Look at that person who's helped us and look at them in the eye and thank them. So you can be, you know, six feet apart, but uh, still say uh, things that, that show that you care. And I think that's a critical piece of how we manage this. We need to reach out, especially to those who maybe, uh, 
you know, unable to to reach out themselves. Oh, you know, this may be the best time to get, re, you know, reunite with your family and put aside your differences, virtually at least. We all can mitigate the effects of physical isolation this way. One of the, the uh, affirmative ways of, of coping is the recognition that, and it's inherent in the hashtag in this together, that we're all in this together, mm. that we're trying to, yes. to, to get rid of or reduce us and them and kind of make us more, like see what we have in common to make us more a giant us. That's correct. You know, often I have young people who say, why am I doing this? I'm not going to get sick. Or if I get sick, nothing bad's going to happen to me. But really, it's that idea that, uh, that we are all in this together and all of us will have, have a role to play here. Uh, so, yes, it's hard, but it's it's doable. You know, we, the, the, the saying often goes, there's an app for that. And there's a lot of apps out there to help you yeah. cope with anxiety and, and yeah. you know, by doing meditation and the like. Yes. Not everyone has access to those. What are your yeah. thoughts on using them? Use credible ones. Go Use ones that are not just, you know, made up one. Read the data collection pieces. Read who's pr- provided and what the data is going to be used for and, and what's the evidence base behind it. If there isn't any then you've got to wonder because there's lots of apps there. So go for a credible one. Look, you know, you don't want to worsen the digital divide that exists because now that's the only way we respond to people. Uh, Just like with our website that we've created a a virtual uh, mechanism, we are also at the back end figuring out ways to create print versions that might be shared. But of course, we're worried about, you know, having print. We don't want to be spreading the virus. So, but there are distress centers and and kids help phone lines and those kinds of things. So I, I think those are important resources. It's 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 like all hands on deck. Apps are one piece of them, but they are not for everyone. Hi, I'm Paul Havershoud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives in big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this: workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. Dr. Selby, I understand that CAMH is developing some mental health resources, including some interactive ones in the coming days Mm -hmm. and weeks for Canadians to turn to as they grapple with COVID-19. What have you got in the works? We are just opening up what would be a, a, a psychoeducational moderated chat feature moderated by a master's level trained person uh, who has uh, experience in mental health and, and, and providing guidance uh, uh, supervised by a clinician. And this way we can we can make uh, these uh, discussion boards uh, available to, to Canadians and uh, have conversations. And so by listening to that and reading that, we can we can we can get a our finger on the pulse and then create content. If there are some questions that are bubbling up there, we can ha- we have a, a slew of experts or psychologists, psychiatrists, and other healthcare and professionals who can answer some of those questions that people have and bring it out in real time, uh, as, as close to real time as possible. So uh, build that community. That's one. The second one is that we've taken our web page and uh, it's going to be released in French very soon. We're going to have an exact version of the website in, in an app so for people who don't have good access to the internet but can download an app, then they can they can use and read that information. And we are looking at ways that it, which could be updated fairly regularly. Uh, and then clearly we are looking at the other uh, services, which are included uh, internet-based CBT for people who might need it. Internet-based CBT, I gather that's cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy. 
That's right. Cognitive behavioral therapy, there's a good evidence base that those therapies, when given over the internet, uh, are effective, if not more effective and, and accessible, especially when you have to try to maintain uh, physical distancing between people and their providers. So, so there's lots uh, in, in the works, and, and we're trying to you know, we, we recognize this is going to be everybody pulling together to make this happen. So it's not just CAMH alone. We are trying to bring in partners as well and work with partners who have assets to be able to do this. Without going into details, can you give me a sense of how uh, cognitive behavioral therapy would help with somebody who has anxieties related to COVID-19? So often, you know, when, when you're anxious, sometimes a thought is just stuck in your head and then that activates your flight, fright, freeze response, which then you have a response. If you want to put it very simply, what cognitive behavioral therapy helps you learn is that when a thought comes, there's a gap between the thought coming and your actions and your feelings. And it's in that space that you have that ability to choose your response. And, and that's a very simplistic way to put it. But that's, I think, for the purposes of this, you're, you're trying to use your power of reflection and coaching that your therapist has to help you recognize these thoughts to be able to appraise them and then choose your response as opposed to react. But if your body then reacts with a flight, fright, freeze response or a panic feeling, what are some of the ways you can bring that feeling down and, and, and ground yourself again uh, so that you can now uh, regroup? So part of learning cognitive behavioral therapy is not like it's not a one-shot deal. It's about learning the skill, practicing it, and if you fall off the horse, so to speak, or the bicycle, you get right back on and say, okay, what do I need to practice again so that I can get some mastery over this? The whole idea during this time is that people need to understand and tap into their inner resilience when it's being challenged by thoughts and fears. You know, in addition to to taking advantage of online tools such as the ones you've talked about, you know, mm -hmm. many people are just going outside to take walks. Yeah. C can you talk about the role of exercise and keeping active and how that might help? Well, we know that the largest studies for all mental health and for general physical health is physical activity. It gets you physically moving, and that's good for our bodies and our minds. Secondly, it gets you away from the inputs that are often plaguing us. So I think it's important to not go for a walk and then watch your social media. Don't take your, your inputs with you. Just put them away in your pocket. Get out into the sun. Uh, we know the sun has some and the bright light. Uh, that's very helpful for us as, as humans. Uh, and you know you'll feel better. I mean, I don't, you don't need a scientific study to show that. This is not about going to a mall or any place like that and congregating with others, but go out into the open, go back into nature. And if you cannot, figure out how to move within your limited space. So for example, if you're in a, in a building and you can't get down, figure out how you can, you can make at least movement up and down the, the hallway if you can't get uh, to the outdoors. Although we're all struggling with the, the situational anxiety, an enormous level of anxiety brought on by COVID-19, there are also many people who already are vulnerable when it comes to mental health. So I wanted to, to spend a few, a few moments talking about people who have anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. What kinds of supports and services do they need at this time? Hopefully they have had you know, pre-existing relationships with their care providers, whether it's their family doctor, nurse practitioner, or, you know, therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist. And I think it is important to, to make sure you have connections with them by phone or video conferencing if that's available to you. You know, don't adjust your medications all by yourself. Uh, obviously, don't add alcohol to the mix because that makes it worse. Uh, but reconnect and, and figure out how you can connect. So that's the 
professional uh, services. Look for if there are services in your province that that uh, that are offered, such as Bounce Back or uh, Big White Wall, which are already available and have already been made available to to you. Then use those because you know those are at least been vetted. If you have that ability, or there is that ability within your with your workplace or otherwise to get access to internet-based CBT, then or and or programs that have been developed for health anxiety, tap into that. Um, and lastly is obviously talk to your pharmacist because if you need medications, figure out a way that your medications are either being delivered or if you have to pick them up, your pharmacy is open and you have that capacity to get there. Check if there are credible support networks on, online that you can join for social support, not medical advice. But again, things that are more uh, pro-social and not just simply uh, you know, promoting fear and dread. Do you have any specific advice for children who may already have anxiety, uh, who now have so much free time on their hands? Yes. Uh, I mean, I think that must be really challenging. I, I don't know about you, but when my kids were they were little, you really, you know, you had to cuddle them. You know, words are so much, but they need physical contact as well. And it's hard uh, as a parent and, and it, it's hard, but I, as much as possible, using your words and explaining to them and then figuring out how to keep kids distracted kids more and more can live in the moment so young kids at least keep them in the moment figure out creative ways to make things happen that limit the amount of social media and you know be careful kids have big ears so if adults are watching tv and are speaking about things and are demonstrating and experiencing anxiety the kids pick up on that and then if kids have known anxiety disorders I mean, obviously be supportive, help them engage with their therapist. They may need to make sure that they have an ability to touch base with you more regularly. They may be worried about you. You know, sometimes asking the question about worst fear is not a bad one. You say, what's your worst fear? And you can let them know in a factual way what you've done. If they are worried about what happens to my parent, should should they get sick, uh, you need to let them know what, what's in place and how, how things will manage and how they'll be taken care of. So I think transparency, open and honest discussions, paying attention and listening, more importantly to your kids, is, is critical during this time. Uh, thank you so much for speaking with us on The Dose. Uh, appreciate the brand. Listen, man, thank you so much for everything you're doing and uh, bringing this out as well, uh, in both fronts, on your two streams, clinically as well as, as well as this. I think it's so important from a public health perspective. We're all in this together. Take care. Bye now. Thanks. That was Dr. Peter Selby from the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Here's your dose of smart advice for taking care of your mental well-being while coping with the coronavirus. First, physical distancing does not mean social distancing. Stay in touch with friends and family virtually. Eat healthy and get plenty of exercise. Being confined to your home may be a new experience for you. Make your routine as normal as possible. Set your alarm to get up at your usual time as if you're commuting to work. Stay informed, but try limiting your consumption of news and social media to once or twice a day. Talk to your children honestly and openly about what's happening and acknowledge their fears. If you have an anxiety disorder, check to see if your psychiatrist or psychologist provides virtual appointments. And don't change the dose of your medications without talking first to your doctor. You can also check out Internet-Based Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, or CBT, provided it comes from reputable sources. And if you're just feeling anxious and don't know where to begin, you can check out some of the resources Dr. Selby mentioned at camh.ca. If you're feeling overwhelmed, remember, we're all in this together. 
That's this edition of The Dose. The next one drops on Friday when we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Selby. He'll talk about the added challenges of grappling with COVID-19 when you have a severe underlying mental health disorder, especially addiction, and what supports are out there. We know you have lots more questions about COVID-19 and other things. Let us know what they are and we'll do our best to get you some answers. Email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can tweet me at NightShiftMD or the show at CBC Whitecoat. Remember to use the hashtag, TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. This edition of The Dose was produced by Nicole Ireland, Donna Dingwall, and myself with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to RF Nirani, Executive Director of CBC Podcasts, Leslie Merklinger, Head of Audio Innovation at CBC, and Alison Broddle, Managing Editor at CBC Radio. Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until the next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.